My message today is entitled People. You know some people. I know a few. In fact, I've known a lot over the period of my life. Some of them I am so glad that I met and they intersected in my life. A few others, maybe not so much. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about some people I've known this morning. And at the same time tell you the kind of person that God wants you to be, the kind of people he wants us to be. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will anoint what I say this morning. Not because I'm saying it, not because they're my words, but because they're your thoughts and your words. And I pray that they'll be directed to the hearts of every person. May those who have ears to hear, spiritual ears of discernment and reception, hear and receive your message today. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will enliven our hearts with truth and with understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. I welcome you to turn there with me if you want to. Ephesians chapter 5, two verses, verses 26 and 27. And verse 26 interrupts the thoughts that preceded it. So I will interject the word in the beginning, Jesus. Leading up to that, it is saying that Jesus gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The King James says that he wants a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Other versions translate spot or wrinkle as stain or wrinkle. But the message of these verses is he wants a pure church. He wants a sanctified church. And God will bless the church that is like him. This is what it takes to be like him. It seems like a high demand. When the word of God says, be holy for I am holy, quoting the Lord himself. And it is a high standard, but it is not an unattainable standard when you recognize it in the terms of what God is saying. And this is what he's saying. He has bought us with his blood, with the washing of water by the word, and that's critically important. We're washed with the water of the word, cleansed from sin by the blood of Jesus, kept holy and pure by following the teachings of the Word of God. I was in the hospital room of a woman who had been taken there unexpectedly with pretty serious conditions. She was there for several days, maybe almost a couple of weeks. It's a long hospital stay these days. As soon as I found out she was there, I went to see her. Walked into the hospital room, stood by her bed, and she said, Oh, Pastor, I'm so so glad you came. She was surprised to see me. Because she and her husband and children had started attending our church and had come for quite some time. 
In fact, she was saved at our altar, baptized in the baptistry of the old church, and came to our church regularly for months, maybe for a year or two, a year or so. They were stalwarts in the congregation. When you saw, looked out on Sunday morning, if you didn't see them, almost said the name, if you didn't see them, you wondered what was wrong and where they were. And then something happened. Something happened. Some offense occurred. Some misunderstanding occurred. Some dilatory change came about. Some argument between them or somebody. I don't know what happened. She never told me, has never told me. But after I saw her there about, the, I think about three times I saw her while she was in the hospital, I stood by her bedside. I prayed for her every time I went there. She well received my prayers gladly. And I was standing by her bedside, and she said, Pastor, I just want to tell you, my husband and I have never, never in our marriage or in our lives, we have never been happier than when we were sitting in the pews at First Assembly. And I said to her, well, that's wonderful news. All you have to do is decide to come back. When you get out of this hospital room and you get home, I don't think your husband will refuse to come. I don't think your husband ever got saved. But he came with her every time. If he had kept on coming, he would have got saved. And I don't think that was the issue. He didn't pull back on her. She was the kind of person who would have come on her own if he had. But when she told me that, and I said, well, all you have to do is to come back. When you get out of this hospital room, start over and come back. God's waiting for you. You know how many times she's been back since then? That's been months ago. That's probably been a year ago. Maybe a little more than a year since I stood by her hospital bed and told her that. And so I started counting this morning as I thought about it, how many times she's been back since then. It wasn't hard to count. That's how many times she's been back. Zero times. Why would somebody say, I know what it takes to fulfill me. I know what it takes for me to gain happiness and be satisfied. I know what it takes. I know all I have to do because I've experienced it. All I have to do is to go there and sit in that service and be blessed by the Lord. And and I will be again as happy as I've ever been in my life. Now, you may have a full explanation for that, and you may be able to come up and take an hour and explain it to me after church Why people do that. I don't want you to. Because I doubt if after I listened to all of it, you got it right. (laughs) I just say only God knows. Only God knows that. But if you know what it takes to be satisfied in the presence of God, if you understand what it takes to live and be where God wants you to live and be in victory, then I'm going to say to you, you're an absolute, I'm going to say it just exactly the way I think it and feel it and believe it right now. In exactly the words. I'll get reproved for this, but that's okay. I think if you do that, you know what it takes to be where God wants you to be, where you'll be happy and satisfied and blessed, favored, 
I don't mean just in church. I mean in your life, reading the Bible, praying, whatever it is that gives you, you've had full satisfaction doing that, and now you just decided you don't have time to do it or this or whatever it is, I think you're a fool. I think you're an idiot. I think you're doing something stupid. I'm not going to call you stupid. I'm going to say you're doing something stupid. Why would anybody do that? If I know drinking a Coca-Cola is going to make me sick every time I drink it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop drinking them. Now, you may just keep on, so maybe you'll stop getting sick after a while. That's you. If you want to do it that way, fine. If I know what it is that makes me sick, I'm sick and I can't stop it, I'm going to stop doing it. If I know what it is that makes me full and satisfied and complete and joyful, and all I have to do is just take a couple of steps and do it, guess what? I'm going to do it. I know I'm not preaching to a bunch of dumb people today. I hope you don't think I'm saying it to you that, that way. I'm just saying this for everybody, for anybody, from the woman in the hospital bed. And if this fits you, it doesn't because you're here this morning. So tell it to the people it fits if you want to. Tell them I said it. That's a dumb thing to do. If you knew that all you had to do when you walk out of this service today is go down to the, uh, wherever it may be, it doesn't matter, go down to the gas station, go down to the convenience store, or as I call them sometimes, the inconvenience store. (laughs) And you knew about walking in there that they had a award of $5,000 waiting for you. You not only would get there as soon as you could, you wouldn't, if you knew it now, you wouldn't even hear the rest of this sermon. Unless they told you they weren't going to give it to you until you could prove you heard the whole sermon. <laughs> and, and you want to know something? I wouldn't blame you one bit. I wouldn't blame you. And that's just how simple it is. And, and it, 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 it's just that clear about material, earthly things. So if we know what it takes for God to bless us and for us to be fulfilled in the blessings of God and be satisfied in the blessings of God, why do we do the opposite thing? Is it because we're just people? Because, you see, the Lord said he wants us to be a special people, not an ordinary people, not just a regular people, not just the kind of person that you bump into at the gas station, have a conversation across the gas tank island with them. Maybe you're talking to a dedicated Christian. Maybe you're talking about somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is. So he's called out a people. He's called a people for the glory of his name. You've been named in that calling. And it's up to you to walk in that calling in the victory of the Lord and do the things that honor Jesus and bring you victory and despair over the things and give up the things that dishonor Him and bring you defeat because you can have victory. I can look about this congregation right now. I see people here that are missing. 
people that have been missing for maybe three weeks, maybe four, some five. They've been missing. Uh, two or three people I look at and I don't see right now who, who have been faithful attenders every Sunday morning sitting right there in the same place, and I don't see them sitting there this morning. Do I think that's because they don't like the preaching? Could be. But they sat there through it a long time. Put up with it a long time. Do I think it's because they don't like the person that they're sitting beside? I doubt it because they sat in the same place every time. I could, I could, I could name you about six people right now just in this very category that I'm saying to you. And why is that? Is that because... It gets old to people. It gets, it gets, it gets we just don't mean anything anymore. I don't think so. I think it happens because the devil intrudes his own impressions and thoughts, the fiery darts of the wicked, Paul said, that come against us and we allow that attack without Warding them, warding them off with the shield of faith. We allow that attack to come and, and, and wound us. And then in our wounds, we don't go to the place where we have healing. We let the wounds increase and get worse. And finally, we say, well, wait a minute. I didn't know I'd been out that long. There are people just like this that I'm describing to you. I meet them and talk to them regularly. I call them on the phone and speak to them. And most of the time, most of the time, they can't tell me or don't want to tell me what's happened. But I know what's happened. I know that the enemy has won a battle in their minds, in their spirit. He has come against them, and they have listened, misunderstood the message of God, and they failed in keeping. Now, there's some of you here today who are going to think I'm talking straight at you. Somebody has said something to me about you, and that's not true. Somebody may have said something to me about you, but it wasn't about this. They may have asked me to pray for you, but it's not about this. I'm just simply telling you this morning what I believe is true and what I believe we need to hear. I've met all kinds of people in my experience and in my life, as you have to. I've, I've been a pastor for a, quite a number of years. And every, every so often, all along in the passing of time, I will have something happen that I'll say, wow, I thought I'd seen everything. But I was wrong. I have talked to child molesters. I've talked to rapists. I never actually talked face-to-face -face with a murderer, or at least not anybody who confessed it to me, but I've had just about everything confessed to me child molestation to, to, to uh, thievery, to uh, unfaithfulness. I've had, I've had more things confessed to me than I ever wanted to hear. But I thought I had heard it all, and yet as simple a thing as it was, it was it's very simple. I don't think I'd ever heard anybody say to me what that person did in that hospital bed that day. And she said to me, after being out of church all that time, not going anywhere else, not going to church, just not, not going, not just gone. When she said to me, 
I have, my family and I have never been happier than we were when we were sitting in the pews at First Assembly every Sunday morning. And then to not follow up and do anything about it. So I started back thinking, well, you know, I've met a lot of people who are probably representative of almost every part of the body of Christ. And remember now, I'm preaching to you that the Lord is trying to build for himself a bride, a church that's a glorious church, a church that's without spot or wrinkle. You know what those spots and wrinkles are, don't you? It's not like you're wearing a robe and all God's children got a robe and that robe's got a wrinkle in it or a spot on it. No, those spots and wrinkles are not robes, they're not clothing, they're not covering. Those spots and wrinkles are people. Those spots and wrinkles are you and me. That's what he's talking about. He wants to have a purified, holy people who have laid aside every weight, as he wrote to the uh, Hebrews, I believe, every weight and the sin which so easily besets us in our lives, calling for us to run with patience the race that is set before us. And that's his calling for us. So I, I, got, I thought about people I've known that are pretty representative of almost every segment of the body of Christ. Carolyn and I uh, in, went to uh, Tarpon Springs, Florida to launch a new church. The, the church building was already there. It had been constructed and completed and ready for somebody to walk in. It was brand new. The land had been bought. The church built, paid for completely, given to the Assemblies of God, and they asked us to go there and start a new church in Tarpon Springs. It's a great privilege and great honor. Not many churches have started that way. So we went and, and, uh, and we ministered there for four years. I've often thought about what it would have meant if I'd stayed longer, but I, 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 you ever get looking like, think back on things, what if I'd done that a little bit differently? It might have been a lot better if I'd done Well, anyway, that's another sermon another time. So, so we were there four years, and God bless us, the church grew. And that wasn't a big church at all. It's probably a church that would seat maybe 200 people or so. We grew to about 150 on a regular, consistent basis. The church grew. And I have, I have a lot of things to tell about the experience of that church. This is just one of them. The woman who built that church, bought the land, built the church, gave it to the assemblies of God. She didn't choose us to go. The district chose us to go. So we went, started working and built the church there. When we first started, we lived in the back of the church in a little small section, probably probably not, certainly not a 1,000 square feet, maybe 500 square feet, if that. That was where we lived in the back of the church. It was built that way so that the pastor coming in could live there. Before long, we bought the land next door to the church and doubled the size of the church's holy. We bought the house that was on it and used that for a parsonage for the church, and we moved there. And, and things just continued to grow and develop, and the Lord was doing really great things there. And as I said, the congregation in that little Greek town, almost all of the population Greek Orthodox, grew to about 150 by the time we, were, were, we felt we were led to leave. But the woman who built that church was a very unusual person. And uh, after we left, I had the next pastor call me and say to me, 
did you ever have any problems? What kind of problems did you have with Mrs. So-and-so? I said, I never had a problem with her at all. Oh, he said, you know, we have our differences. We, I said, well, you know, you just need to think about it because all I can tell you is I, I never had the first problem, the first issue with her whatsoever. And I didn't bow down and let her tell me what to do. She didn't try to tell me what to do. She didn't try to be the pastor of the church. She just wanted a spiritual church that was led of God, and I tried to lead it that way. And she loved my ministry and loved me. After we left, later on, that church split. You know, when things like that happen, a district superintendent told me one time, a superintendent that I admired and who was a dear friend of mine that I loved dearly, whose family we ministered to because they were in our church. We were a headquarters church, and, and I was close to him. We did a lot of things together, and I was talking with him one day. He said, you know, Bill, he said, I, I have come to the conclusion. He goes, I'm, you know, I'm, what I do, I go out to preach where there's problems. Everywhere I go, there's, there's problems. That's why they want me there because there's problems. I wish I could be with my family in your church all the time, but I have to go where the problems are. He said, this is what I've learned, and this is what I believe. Now, all of you sitting out there are probably going to agree with this 100%. You will stand up and applaud and say, oh, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, I have come to believe that 90% of all church problems are pastor-caused. And I said, oh, wait a minute, I'm a pastor. I didn't have any problems at that time going on in our church. But, but he, he wasn't talking, telling it for me. He was just talking about it in general. And I said, Charles, you know, I actually, I've never thought about it, but I, I agree with you. We are there to be the leaders that preempt problems. And I'm going back now to that experience in Tarpon Springs when the pastor called me and said, how did you get along with her? I got along with her because she was spiritual and I was spiritual, and we didn't agree. We didn't agree on every single thing, but that was the second person in my life who ever gave me an automobile. While I was there, she gave me a car because she loved Carolyn and me. She even loved Billy. He was a, he was born while we were there. <laughs> so. So I never had I never had the first issue of any kind with her. She would come to me, discuss things with me. I'd talk to her. I was like a son to her. She's much older than I was. But one of the deep regrets of my life is that this dear saint of God died, and I didn't know until it was after it was over, and I couldn't go to the funeral. I would have gone from anywhere I would have been that it was humanly possible to be. I would have gone to the funeral for that person because she loved me and I loved her. And, and, and we never had an issue. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. You don't have to have issues. You don't have to have arguments. You don't have to have misunderstandings. You don't have to have complaints. You don't have to have divisions. You don't have to have animosity. If you reject it and refuse to have it. When, I, when I'm... <laughs> I didn't plan to tell you this much about this lady, but, but this, is a, this is a wonderful experience for me. When I went there, the salary for the pastor was 75% of the offerings. That was when I learned to be a mathematician. 
I learned that 75% of nothing, whoa, it's nothing. 100% of nothing is still nothing. I got 75% of nothing for my pay. But that dear person, she owned a dairy ranch and was a wealthy person. That dear lady put in the church offering every Sunday, $100. And I got 75 of it. You say, well, man, that wasn't much. In those days, you were living high. <laughs> the, well, I won't say that. But I was going to compare it with today. But the fact of the matter is that she was faithful. And one of the, the main reasons she was faithful because she loved God. And the other reason she was faithful because she loved me and loved my family. And when I left there, sometime afterwards, the other pastor would say to me, Well, I just, we just have so much trouble with her. We can't get along with her. What happened when you were there? I said, Nothing. Just love and harmony and peace and blessing. Later on, that church split. She built another church out further over in the county, just like she did that one. Provided the land, built the building. And when the building was when the building was completed, they're ready to get a new pastor there. She had somebody who was filling in for the little church as they got the building. He was a good friend of mine. He was a retired pastor, but a man that I knew and loved, who had pastored for many years in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we were living somewhere else at the time. And he called me one day, and he said, "He said, uh, Sister Brian asked me to call you." And she wanted me to ask you this question. And he said, the reason she didn't call you, she didn't want to put pressure on you. She wanted you to do what you felt like the Lord wanted to do. And and she knew that I loved her, and if she'd asked me to do it, I'd have given a different kind of consideration. But this man was asked to do it on her behalf. He said, she wants you to be the, he told me all about the church, what had happened, what was going on, the size of the building and the church. He said, and she wants you to consider becoming the pastor of this church. Now, I'd been gone from there for Oh, my, several years. I don't remember how long. Several years I've been gone. She wanted me to come back and be the pastor of that church. And I was involved in something else, two other things at the time, and I could not do it. I couldn't walk away from where I was. But I told him to tell her that I considered it a great honor that she wanted me, that she first asked me if I would come and be the pastor of that church, and that if it were at all possible for me to give up the things that I was already committed to, I would do that because I know that God would use us together to build his kingdom as he had done before. So I wasn't able to do it, but it was an honor to me that she asked me and wanted me to come back. People, as every kind, this, this woman brought all kinds of people. Now, he, now, now I'm going to give you a kind of, this was a wealthy woman. She was known throughout the county. She had a large, large dairy farm, had sold some land on another dairy farm for multiple millions of dollars to a big organization, and then moved up further north in the county near Tarpon Springs and had bought another land for a dairy farm up there. Some people who worked for her were named Robert and Leah Askew. They were not wealthy people. They were, by the standards of that day even, fairly, I won't say poor, but uh, on the lower end of economics. 
They owned an old, I think it was a Ford, doesn't matter. They owned an old station wagon, painting, peeling on it. Ran pretty good because they drove it all the time. But these people, every Sunday morning, came into church with a pickup, not pickup, a station wagon, with a station wagon load of people. Adults and children. My Sunday school was mostly made up of people that brought in when we started. <laughs> they brought people every Sunday. They brought people in. Wednesday night they brought people in. Every service they came in with that old station wagon loaded down with people. They went out and got them and found them and brought them. So I have fond and dear memories. I, I sometimes think of these people and I think about the woman that uh, broke the alabaster box and put the ointment on Jesus' head, and he, she was rebuked by all the disciples and apostles, and Jesus said, leave her alone. She's done this for my burial, and what she's done will be spoken of as a memorial for her, her love and her sacrifice. I think about people like this, and I tell about Leah and Robert Askew now in somewhat as a memorial to them because they were such a great blessing to our lives at that time. Faithful givers, faithful workers, faithful supporters. On a different level, from what Mrs. Bryan was able to do. She was able to do this. They were able to do this. But they were faithful. They were faithful. And I consider them today, I consider them to be a part of the unblemished church. I consider them to be a part of the people that God's placed his honor upon. They've gone to heaven now. Robert and Leah and Mrs. Bryan, they've gone to heaven now. But they went out as unblemished stalwarts and servants and champions in the work of God. They were supporters and builders of the church of God. The builders of the family of God, of the body of Christ. Living that life of praise and glory to God that was faithful. That was faithful to lift up the standard. And the reason that they were able to do that was because they were committed faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ to live for Him, to serve Him in victory. And they went to heaven in victory, all of them. And I give glory to God because of that. They touched my life. That's why I still remember them so vividly today. She always played her... She taught us Sunday school class. Billy was in her Sunday school class. And she always said, she'd always come and said, she'd say, Billy Register. You give me a report. She never said Billy. She always said, Billy Register. <laughs> I don't know why I remember things like that. Except that she was, I, I, I remember all of that with the deepest fondness and affection because I knew people who loved God. Every church that I've ever served, There have been people who knew God, who knew Him as well as I knew Him, and sometimes, I'm sure, better, who knew God and walked with God. You've had people come right into this church, be here, the last pastor appreciation that people were here in a church that I pastored and left as far back as somewhere in the 1970s, I don't remember. But, but they, they still call me pastor. And it's because it's not, it's not only, they, they love me and Carolyn, my family, 
because of the bond that Jesus produces when you want to walk together in the harmony of the Spirit and live for God and bring glory to the name of Jesus and be a blessing everywhere you go. That's the kind of people they were and are. And God brings those people into your life to build you and encourage you, to say to you, I do have a glorious church. It's not yet perfect. All the blemishes are not out yet. It won't happen until Jesus comes. But there are some people who are holding that standard, who are walking and living for God, who are glorifying Him, whose lives are like the driven snow, as pure and as complete before God as one can be in this world, because they dedicated themselves not to be perfect, but to be spiritual and live in the terms of the Word of God. I've got a couple more people. I'm not going to have time to talk about all these people that I'm, that I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you that there's another side too. There are other people. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. There are always some people who are going to deceive you and who are going to be negative towards you. I say this not to disparage your view of other people. I say this to encourage you, even though some people may do this towards you. It doesn't mean that what they say about you is true. Did you know that, that, that a lot of things that, I guess you do know this probably, a lot of things people say about you are not true. And some things they may say about you that are true, they don't have any business saying, but they're going to do it anyway. I had, I had two people in mind. One of them was in uh, in two separate churches. One of them was uh, my ostensibly my friend in every way, one of my biggest supporters by word. And I found out in the course of time that he was doing everything the opposite of that behind my back. Now, why was that? Be that because I'd done him wrong? No, I never did anything wrong to him. Is that because I harmed him? Is that because I chastised him? Is it because I rebuked him? No, not any of that. I don't know why he did that. I do not know. But I do know this. It was without cause. And even if it had been with cause, he would have been wrong because the spirit was wrong. And so... When he did that, I just I just faced him. I just told him what he was. Anybody that does this, there's a name for that. They call them hypocrites. The one thing somebody's facing is the exact, exact opposite to their back. And listen, you won't get away with that very long. You know, Somebody that you talk to behind his back is going to come and report it to you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about anything that's going on. Please don't take that. I'm just talking to you about I'm talking to you about what it takes to have a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Because the spots and wrinkles in it are people. I had a man one time in another church. Again, a very, very good friend to me. He did a lot of good things for me. A couple moved into our church, a young couple. They were older people. They had the young couple moved in. He had a very prestigious job this man I'm talking about. And, and he came in 
this couple came in and they infected this man and his wife. The, the young couple that came in, this, I'll just give you one, this is the kind of people they were. They called the uh, telephone company and had the church telephone bill being start getting sent to their address so that they could look at the telephone bill and see if I was abusing it and making long-distance calls. That was when you charge for long-distance calls. If I was making long-distance calls or anything else, they were not for the church and not on the, for the benefit of the church. Now, today, a company wouldn't even do that. They have to prove all kinds of things before they would do that, but they didn't call it to change the address. And the telephone bill, we didn't get a telephone bill for a couple of months, couldn't figure out what was happening. We called and found out. They said, oh, we're sending it to such and such an address, and then we looked up and saw it was their address. So then I addressed them. This is not the place you need to be. You need to go somewhere they like that kind of thing. We don't. Well, <laughs> the older couple they had infected were, were, so, were such nice people. They were just wonderful people until this happened. And so we were, we were meeting. I'm taking a little bit longer this morning. Will you give me to 1215 this morning? Then I can just take the pressure off me. Put it on you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll finish by then. So, so we were meeting this little church. I had been asked to go there to help this church on a temporary basis. I wasn't supposed to stay. But I can't go somewhere and just preach and let things stay like they are when I know they can be better. So we were meeting on the sixth floor of a bank building. You had to get the elevator to go up to church. Sixth floor. Had about 30 people. Reminds me a lot of Orange Park. Had about 30 people there. And uh, they were meeting in that bank auditorium for free. Well, that was exciting to a lot of them for free. But you couldn't grow. You couldn't do anything there. We knew you couldn't pick it up and moving out every time and, and, and then not having room to grow and being upstairs and the people coming to the bank couldn't put a sign up, didn't know where to find it. So it was, it, was, it, was a, it was an impediment. So I started looking for a place to go, and the Lord led me to a rundown shopping center. And we were able to get that, uh, most of that shopping center under lease for low, low, low rates. So I said there was one place in there had been an old nightclub in the past. And it was just right to build a chapel that would seat maybe a couple of hundred people. I could see it in my mind. It was perfectly designed. And so we, I went in there and started negotiating. We got a really good deal on the lease. It was, it, 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 even by those standards, it was cheap because it, it wasn't anything attractive. We went in, bit, fixed it up, built it up, did some things on the outside, made it look great, had a church and a shopping center, which was really popular down in South Florida at that time, still popular in a lot of places now took most of that shopping center, built that little chapel that would, we could put enough chairs in it, I think, to see a little over 200 people. And in no time, we'd gone from that 30 or so that were in the old auditorium in the back to about 150 or 60 people on Sunday morning in church. Well, when I presented it to the church that we need to clean up that place and move there, this man, who had been so good to me, so kind to me, he and his wife both, had loved me so much. That day had spent all day with me. We'd been going somewhere, and I was riding with him, and we talked all day long. He never said a negative word about it. I would have thought he was so much in favor of moving and getting our church where it could grow. It never occurred to me otherwise. That, that Wednesday night when we were having a meeting to, make, to bring this about, present it to everybody, he stood up, and it was that very night after we'd spent all day together, he stood up, and he said, well, I'm not going to have my wife going over there in that dirty, nasty place working, have me clean it up. And besides that, this is free, and that they want us to pay for that old nasty Well, it was an old nasty place until we cleaned it up, turned it into a really nice, beautiful little chapel. I say the little chapel, it was, it, was, it was larger than a lot of churches around today. But we could put enough chairs in there to seat more than 200 people. 
And I said, Sabre grew to 150 or 60 people while we were there. But he stood up and opposed me in the open meeting. Just absolutely opposed it. Shocked me. It shocked me. And there was a man who had been going to that church just a little while. Maybe hadn't even been going there hardly a month. He stood up and he said, I don't understand why anybody would oppose what our pastor is presenting here today. He said, we've been in this place here where nobody's going to be able to grow here. He presented the value and how it's so inexpensive. And, and he said, I, "He said you've been here all this time. They've been there for years in that same place, place to place. And he said, now you've got a chance to get out somewhere that you can grow and you want to oppose that. And so he persuaded, not me, he persuaded the people. And actually they all voted for it except two families. And one of them stayed with us anyway, not counting the little couple that stole the phone bill. But, but this man and his wife, I met with them the next morning. I had an office. I leased an office space right there in that shopping I met with them the next morning. And I said, Al, people have come to me saying that they'd love for you to stay, love for you and Anita to be here and stay here. But they want you to, have, they want you to apologize to the church because of what you said and did in that meeting. Well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I said, well... You know how much I love you, and you know how much I appreciate all you've meant to me. But if you don't do that, you can't stay in this church. Now, we don't do that kind of thing today. You know. Well, we should sometimes. We don't. The reason we don't do it here is because we don't have occasion. We don't have the need to do it, okay? But I needed to do that. I needed to say to him, you come back. You're a source of discord. They wanted to come back and keep coming. And I said, I want you to come. I would love for you to keep coming. However, you're going to have to apologize to do it. I just, I just can't bring myself to do that, Pastor. I said to his wife, can't you persuade him to do that? It's such a simple thing. I'm sorry. I was wrong. No, she couldn't. She was going to follow him. So that's the way it ended. So sometimes you meet folks that you just can't forget because they're so great, so glorious, because they are so wonderful, because they're so committed, because they're so spiritual, because they're so full of love. And then on the other hand, you meet people who are so deceived by the devil, so caught up in the mysteries of the devil, don't know, don't know, are not smart enough, not spiritual enough, and that was the problem he had, not spiritual enough to be able to understand that this is against the plan of God. This is against the Word of God. This is against what a child of God ought to do, unable to understand it, unable to grasp it and therefore lost out with God because of it and gave up a great place that God had for him. So I'm going to tell you that there are people who will disappoint you. There are people that will accuse you. There are people that will malign you. There are people that will lie about you. There are people that will attack you in every way. There are people who are envy you. The first things I said are actions. Envy is a motive. They'll do it out of envy. But I will tell you this. Jesus experienced the same thing. There was a time when they all forsook him and fled. But, but, they came back. And that's the answer that we want for people to come back. I don't know where you stand with the Lord today. Some of you just beginning your walk with the Lord. You've been to this altar for salvation. Some of you have not yet. Maybe you're saved somewhere else. You don't have to get saved here to be saved. That's a certainty. But I am going to say to you this morning that before this service is over, 
I want you to seriously consider letting the Holy Spirit speak to your heart as he begins to do it right now. And speak to your heart telling you that you need to make your surrender to the Lord Jesus today. You need to give up your life into the hands of the Lord.